This podcast is brought to you by The Province. Listening to Keyboard Kimura, the official mixed martial arts podcast of the province. Here are your hosts, Paul Chapman and E. Spencer Kite. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Province Sports Radio Keyboard Kimura Edition. I'm Paul Chapman, joined by Spencer Kite. Hey, Spence, how's things going? Going well. It's good to have you back. I mean, <laughs> the fact that the fact that you're back means things are going well. Well, that's good. Yeah, let's jump right into it. I missed the John Jones uh, fallout last week. John Jones spoke for the first time. Um, I thought was a fascinating hour, as they say, walk through the woods of Albuquerque with uh, Ariel Helwani. I've seen some criticism of it. I know you guys got into it a little bit last week, um, but I think there's a lot there to react to. And I, I, I uh, you know, my own personal take on it was I thought he was incredibly honest. Um, and I also thought that in light of some of the stuff we've seen, especially out of Ronda Rousey, his view on the UFC and the way they do things to me was probably the biggest takeaway. Aside from when you look at him as personal issues, what that means for what people will call the greatest fighter going forward, I thought more what he said about Dana White and the UFC and Lorenzo had a bigger picture impact in terms of, okay, I see how this is working now. Yeah, that that for me was the the real takeaway of just sort of talking about the interactions he had with them around his incident back in April, at the end of April, um, talking about his feelings on the Vitor Belfort elevated levels situation going into UFC 152, coming out of UFC 151, where, of course, he and his coach, Greg Jackson, were famously eviscerated by Dana in the media for killing that event and, and being sport killers. And just talking a bunch, as you said, sort of picking his words carefully about, you know, Lorenzo seemed a genuine, long, awkward pause. And Dana was there. Like, it was it was was a a very fascinating interview from a study of, you know, we talk about it feels a little bit like we're starting to see a little sea change in terms of fighters thinking about maybe not unionizing, but the collective more. And and John, in that interview, maybe it's just that he's, you know, thinking about himself and, and his legal options and the things he could do in terms of the Nevada State Athletic Commission releasing his positive cocaine test and the way he feels about the UFC. But it felt a little bit like he might be that big name, big money guy that the sport needs to say, hang on a minute, Let's make sure everybody's taken care of because these guys that I have been doing great things for from the day I walked into this company and specifically for the last three or four years don't really necessarily give much of a shit about anything other than them getting taken care of, at least not in that like that's priority one and then way down break big distance priority two is okay, is this guy okay? And so it it was fascinating to see, and I, and I think Ariel doing a great job of just letting John sort of talk through it and have those pauses 
gave me the sense that this is something that isn't going to just go away. Like we're going to continue to talk about this and, and see some of these changes from John and, and pursue these ideas with him going forward for sure. Well, that you're, you're absolutely right about that. One thing that, and you, you know, there's obviously personal stuff that goes on behind the scenes, you know, um, and in some of the fallout from that uh, interview and certainly some of the things you've even said in the past, you know, John Jones is a different guy and you never know what's happened behind the scenes. But when I look at the way Dana White has coddled fighters like Ronda Rousey, certainly as they're currently doing with Conor McGregor, Anderson Silva, uh, GSP at some points in time, um, it's definite that they hold close to their heart the reputations of the people that they think can sell pay-per-views, yet that never happened with John Jones. Or I don't know if it never happened, but certainly as it came apart, we saw this emotional statement sort of um, kind of a, a pouty, it's my ball and I'm going home from John Jones's manager after the the events of April where he talked about, you know, maybe I don't need to be criticized all the time for everything I do. Maybe, maybe you know... It, being the guy publicly who's flogged for killing an event, um, you, you know, all, all these things where he really felt like the pressure of always having to fight the number one guy, whereas everyone else got to sit back and just kind of, oh, well, I, you know, I'll wait for my title shot. I don't have to fight any of these other guys. It's clear that that stuff hasn't gone away. John Jones wasn't just being, uh, well, he was being a pouty baby, but the reasons for him <laughs> being that way uh, were real. And, you know, the fact that he, he basically said, look, I, I, you know, if I want to walk away from this, I will. I'm not going to. I still have a lot to prove, but I'm, I don't appreciate the way I was, I was handled. And, and I, I, as I said at the time, I, I kind of found it strange that all these other fighters were kind of given the benefit of the doubt. And here was arguably their best fighter, and he wasn't. And when you look at it, the, the interesting and sort of striking thing to me, is that you have that clear point of demarcation where it changed from John being sort of in that position that Conor McGregor and Ronda Rousey and, and fighters like that are currently in to where he is now. And that is that UFC 151 ultimately event cancellation because Dan Henderson got hurt. John wouldn't take a fight with Chael Sonnen on seven days notice and the UFC was forced for the first time in its history to cancel an event. Up until then, John was the golden boy. He was, this is this phenomenal talent, unlike anyone we've seen at this age come into the sport, youngest champion, Let's get him out here, promote him. There was, you know, the thing in, in New Jersey where he stopped the mugging before his fight. And that was part of his story. And like, this is just such a good, wholesome, wonderful kid some of which is, you know, Trump pumped up a little bit and he's clearly a, a not just a saint. Um, but then he said no to that fight and it became this schism between the two where Dana absolutely buried John and, and Greg Jackson. I mean, that press release and that call is one of the craziest things I've ever read from a company about its, air quotes here, independent contractors, um, and it hasn't ever gotten better since then. They've worked together. They've done good business. Um, but I think that for John was the, oh, so this is where my career means less to you than absolutely anything else. 
And I think that opened his eyes. And so I think if you ever see a point where, and I think Connor is getting to this point. I think Connor is a guy that they think right now, this is the perfect guy for us. He says, yes, he loves doing the media. He loves promoting these events and he's awesome. And he's all these different things. I think if Connor wins this fight next weekend in Las Vegas and becomes the undisputed featherweight champion, they're in for an interesting conversation with that dude because he is someone that 100% understands his value, understands what he brings to the table, and won't just happily sit by as the UFC continues to rake in millions from his shows. And as much as he's making a bunch of money, he will want more money. He is not going to be somebody that is just content with whatever the UFC offers him. So it's going to be really, really interesting to see sort of John John played off and sort of watching he and Connor as they move on these paths going forward in these next couple of years. Because the UFC right now is is at a point of strength. They are growing and and coming off a their best year in the last, I can't even tell you how long, probably since the Brock Lesnar era kind of thing. So it's going to be very interesting for sure. Well, it is. And, and you know, that stuff being out there and, and the way John positions is clear, he's not going to back down. Um, right. And, and you know, something else that we're going to get into here is how big will his return fight be? I mean, you know, the Holly Holm, Ronda Rousey rematch will certainly generate its share of, of uh, mainstream hype, but... I think John Jones coming back off this is going to generate a ton of crossover and try and tap into those so-called new or casual fans who who will want to see the, you know him fight Daniel Cormier and and um I'll I'll tell you this something else out of the interview and we had talked about this at the time there were all these rumors about you know when he fought Gustafson that he just did not take that fight seriously and, and he so he comes out in this interview and says yeah absolutely I was partying the whole time and and um and I still won. And and if he is serious, like how much better does that make him if he is focused and he's not partying and he is he has been all in, in all in here? Will it make that much a difference, or is this like Tiger Woods that after Tiger Woods wasn't out, you know, messing around with every woman that he came across, he lost his mojo? I think it will make a difference, just in that training camp doesn't be become or continue to be the first half of it is John getting in fighting shape. I think there's a difference between what you're able to do. So I'm told as someone who is not currently, nor have I been in shape any time in the last 20 years, there's, there's a difference to what you're able to do when you're already in shape and when you have to get into shape. So if he gets an extra three, four, five weeks where he's in shape to go in there and and create things with Brandon Gibson, to go in there and work strategies with Greg Jackson and to go through just different chains and sequences of strikes and attacks with Mike Winklejohn. That's scary. That is a, a dude that could continue as weird as this sounds and as strange as it sounds because he's been so dominant could continue to get better and continue to find new ways to utilize the many, many weapons that he has. As for his return fight, to me, I, I agree with you 100%, especially if they can get that New York date that's penciled in for April 23rd, Madison Square Garden. I mean, you think about 
the first time the UFC holds an event in New York. It's at the Mecca. It's such a massive media center. And then you throw into it John Jones's return. He is a New York kid. There's a rivalry with Daniel Cormier. You can dust off all that ESPN footage from their, their first go-round. It just becomes this colossal must-see event. So I think they are really crossing their fingers that, that things come through and work out in New York because that would be, to me, that would be bigger than anything we've had thus far. Maybe not in terms of box office, maybe not in terms of attendance, but in terms of potential for greater recognition that further grows the sport. Um, we look at it, The other, one of the other things he touched on is, you know, this long sort of pondered, I don't want to say rumored, but long pondered move up to heavyweight. Again, he's got two brothers who are defensive linemen in the NFL. The family gene suggests he could carry the weight. We've seen videos of him now. Um, <laughs> even though he'll still hit 205, we've seen videos of him. He's, he's put together differently. He's deadlifting a huge amount. Uh, he says that, you know, he, he mentioned in that interview that he, he, he trains with heavyweights all the time. He doesn't think it will be a problem for him whatsoever. Um, but the one question that I would have, Spencer, and I've said this to you before, the one thing, if you can, if you can split hairs in terms of what's missing from John <laughs> Jones's game, he hasn't had the dramatic knockouts. You know, he's lands these spectacular knees, kicks, spinning elbows, we don't see John Jones knock out a lot of people. He wins decisions. He wears guys out. He gets submissions. Um, and I would wonder uh, what it would be like should he take a heavy shot from Cain Velasquez or if he lands a heavy shot, can he do the damage? And that has been sort of, an, and you're right, we've, we've talked about it on here several times, and that for me is still the question as well. I think everything physically about John, his stature, the way he's built, the way he's able to, as you said, put on masks that we've seen in these last couple of weeks as he's, as he's Instagramming seemingly every lifting session. He definitely has the frame and the physique and, and the physicality to be able to go up there. I think it will be interesting to see that sort of, can he develop power? Can he harness some of that power? Or will he have to be a heavyweight that sort of the same version that he is at light heavyweight where he picks you apart and he just outworks you and he finds that one moment where he can finish you because it's not like John Jones hasn't finished fights and doesn't finish fights. There just aren't those dramatic walk off, you know, one hitter quitters. He wears you down. He beats you up. He finds that opening and then he, you know, chokes out Leota Machida along the cage or or gets the rear naked choke on on Rampage, finishes Shogun Hua in a in a hail of strikes. I don't know how that plays at heavyweight. I would be interested. Dwayne and I talked about it last week, whether you just drop him in right away into a championship fight, provided he's still the light heavyweight champion when he decides to go up, or do you let him just sort of work his way up so that he gets a feel of heavyweight and we get a little bit of a, a preview of what it might be sort of along the way that Anderson Silva's first fight at light heavyweight was a showcase opportunity against James, James Irvin, where he goes out, catches a kick and then blasts him with a right hand and gets this finish that instantly makes all of us think that Anderson Silva could potentially be a two division champion simultaneously. So it'll be interesting. He said in there sort of, as we have discussed that, 
There's some unfinished business with Anthony Johnson. He he thinks he owes it to AJ if he's still at the top of the division to get him that fight and, and have that championship bout. But then after that, he sounds like he's ready to go. So it could be 2017 that we see John Jones, UFC heavyweight. Well, and there's Gustafson in there too, right? But (laughs) he keeps having these great showings and losing. So I don't know what Gustafson will do in the meantime. But I think he has a right to step up and say, you know, I want another one. And it would be interesting to see John training seriously. I think he'd be motivated for that too, since people say that was his toughest test. But there we go. We will see what what holds there. I'm just fascinated to see... You know, the holdup in New York and what that brings. You know, if not New York, then it's got to be Vegas, that's for sure. Um, let's well, and, and and one of the barriers, or sort of one of the chiefs, sorry, just to, yep. to round that out, one of the chief sort of advocates against the UFC over these last several, several years in New York, Sheldon Silver, uh, earlier this week, found guilty on, I believe, seven counts of various levels of fraud and is facing... Shocker. Up to a maximum of 130 years in, in a federal penitentiary. So one of the roadblocks may be cleared out of the way a little bit. Um, let's move on to the next uh, segment, our championship rounds. Benson Henderson's free agency. This is um, it's very interesting. A guy who's been a good soldier, <laughs> said all the right things, fought up and down weight classes, fought on short notice, great interview, been screwed over in judges uh you know i think of his fight against uh cowboy cerrone and, and and never like says the wrong thing um what's going on here and where do you see this leading for me and i i wrote about it coming out of his fight over the last weekend with jorge masvidal that to me his free agency shouldn't last long ben is a dude that the ufc should just lock up you know, not not give him any number because obviously you're still a business and and you don't just throw heaps of cash around. But provided that number is a reasonable number that like there's no reason to me that they can't find a working number that keeps Ben Henderson in the fold. Because as you said, he is a a company guy through and through, steps up on short notice, is always the one raising his hand, saying Put me in, coach, if you need a guy. It doesn't matter where it is in the world. Volunteered to go to, to Dublin on like two days' notice to fight at 155, which isn't even where he's fighting these days when Joe Duffy got hurt and, and sort of volunteered to go and fight Dustin Poirier, even though they didn't want to keep that fight together. Um, I talked to Ben a couple of days before his fight with Jorge Masvidal and obviously brought that up. It is the main storyline with him and you know, he talked about being a company guy and he used that line repeatedly, he used that phrase repeatedly. He was proud that he was getting to be the the headlining act as the UFC broke another new territory in Seoul, South Korea last weekend. His mother is of Korean hair, is Korean. Um, so that was a, a part of it for him as well. But he likes the responsibility and and the faith that the UFC has in him to be a headlining act, to be a guy that goes into these places that they haven't been. And so when you have someone like that, that can fight in two divisions, that says all the right things, that has been a champion, that to me is the guy you lock up, whether you think he can be a champion or not, because you need guys like him that can headline fight night shows and have entertaining fights and can be 100% reliable. Additionally, 
every other organization is going to, I mean, we already see, saw Korea's road FC step up and, and apparently put a $200,000 offer on the table. Now, Ben strikes me and, and has always been to me a guy that is about challenge more than money, but he does have a, a young family and just had a baby with his wife uh, three or four months ago now. Um, so that probably factors in there as well is is setting up a future for his son. But to me, he's a guy that the UFC just goes out, re-signs, you keep him in the fold and you move forward and you don't give anybody a chance to get a hold of this guy and and use all those things that have been positives for you and great assets for you as a company against you going forward. So is this pe- journalists and people who are, well, fans may say this is a good thing um, because competition will, you know, keep the, the management of UFC on their toes. Uh, it's probably a very good thing for fighters to give them options, some control. Um, but ultimately, we have seen uh, various organizations before that are like this that will just go out and either buy up their competition, squash their competition, do what they have to, threaten guys, okay, you leave, you're not coming back, that kind of stuff. Where do you see this all headed? I think I'm of two minds of the competition being a good thing because absolutely it, it gives guys options and it, it allows fighters to get to this Ben Henderson position where they do fight out their contracts and get to see what their value is on the open market. And I do believe more fighters should do it. Um, Many don't. They usually just re-up with the UFC before their contract's out. The UFC doesn't generally let guys get to this point. So I think that's part of what makes this interesting. But at the same time, I'm the guy that would love to see all of the best fighters in one organization so that we get a 100% true picture of who the best is. I mean, to me, it's sort of like the NBA and the NHL. Like I don't, I don't want to see Sidney Crosby playing somewhere that isn't the NHL because I want to know how he stacks up next to, you know, the, the, the Ovechkins and the Malkins and the, you know, Patrick Kane's of the world rather than him being great. Where is it? Where it's a question of, is it the, the competition he's facing. And so I think there's a little bit of that for me with Bellator and with some of these other promotions. I think Ben Askren is a hell of a fighter, but it's hard to say where he fits when he's over in one, one championships fighting guys that washed out of Bellator and guys that washed out of different places. Same with ill will Brooks in Bellator, their lightweight champ. I think he's a tremendous talent and is a guy that I'd like to see fight these top 10 UFC lightweights because I want to know where he fits. And so for me, selfishly as a fan, that's part of why I want to see Ben Henderson stay put. And I want to see guys be in the UFC because it's clearly established as the number one organization in the sport. But for them, from a career perspective and a, and a worth standpoint, it makes far more sense to get to this point and see what offers are out there and get yourself the best deal you can. Uh, right now, let's. We have a bit of an abbreviated podcast today because uh, that we do have some scheduling issues, but um, we do have our last segment here, which is our uh, fight of the week, and it's an interesting one, Spencer. Of course, I know you're headed to Vegas um, next Thursday. We have the first event of a string of events, as, as you've rightly pointed out. Like, let's start with some of the intriguing stuff and build up <laughs> to the pay per view instead of having the pay per view and then tail it off with some leftovers. 
but on the first of it, you've, you've highlighted a fight that's going to take place next Thursday. Very intriguing fight indeed. Yeah, Paige, Paige Van Zandt, who has become sort of the the up-and-coming it girl of the UFC, taking on Rose Namajunas. It was originally supposed to be Joanne Calderwood, but JoJo got hurt. Rose stepped up, coming out of a victory against Angela Hill in Houston earlier this fall. This, to me, is just such a perfect fight for both individuals at this moment. Paige has all this buzz. She has won three consecutive fights in the UFC to sort of validate the hype that she's getting and validate the push that she's getting. And Rose is someone that, you know, going through that season 20 of the ultimate fighter, she was the one tagged initially with the next Ronda Rousey because they were able to show her flying arm bar bar win from the Invicta FC days. And she was collecting finishes during the season. And then she goes out and she gets beaten by Carla Esparza in the inaugural strawweight title fight. Loses that fight, doesn't look very good at all, sort of was overly aggressive, fought a very rushed fight where you saw some of the the inexperience and some of her youth shine through and kind of just got discarded as Paige goes out and wins a fight. And as, you know, we see some of these other fighters start to move up. But to me, Rose is still one of, if not the best prospect in this division because she is still young, because she is still inexperienced. And she's working with a guy in Trevor Whitman out at, out at Grudge in, in Denver that can shape her and has had success with, you know, athletic strikers, people that are willing students that he can show sort of ways to maximize what they do. And so to put these two together in a fight where, you know, I believe Rose is ranked number three, Paige is number seven. So clearly the winner is in that title mix, in that conversation as a potential opponent for Joanna Jacek going into next year. And it's just a chance to sort of get that that litmus test for both women at a point where they need it. Because we need to know sort of have they been beating up lesser competition and have they been excelling against weaker foes? Which one of them moves forward? Which one of them has to sort of reset? Or maybe we get a fight where it goes five rounds, 25 minutes. It's just back and forth, 48, 47 on every card split decision. And we go, okay, they're both legit. And that to me is, is why it's so intriguing and and such a great kickoff to a week next week that is going to be absolutely bonkers. Now, of course I had said that I thought that they were rushing Holly home into her title shot because (laughs) she, uh, she needed more seasoning to be able to take on the best page fans. That's only 21. Um, and it's inevitable when you talk about Paige Van Zandt, one of the reasons she is so marketable and there's a lot of buzz is she's very attractive, uh, which is a sad but true thing that a lot of female athletes have to deal with. Um, but let me ask you this. This is a great test. You know, it is brought about uh, necessity because of an injury. Do, at 21 and still being fairly new to the sport, do you think she's ready to really take on that championship role yet? I personally don't think she is. I mean, I I saw her UFC debut in Austin, Texas. I was at her last fight in Las Vegas as well against Alex Chambers. For all the very good things that you see, and you can see a lot of that raw potential and why she's been identified correctly so as a prospect in this division, you also just see that she's still, as you said, she's 21. She's still fairly new to this. Um, I believe this will be her seventh fight or her eighth fight of her career. 
Um, she's still green in terms of some of just fundamental things. She gets by right now on aggression, athleticism, and kind of adaptability. She's able to, to win scrambles and she's able to capitalize sort of in moments where it's, it's a coin flip who's going to get the better of things. She tends to come out the better of things more often than not. And that's tremendous for somebody at this age. But if you put her in there with someone like Joanna Yenjechik now, or you put her in there with even a Claudia Gedalia, I would love to see a rematch between her and Tisha Torres, who fought in Invicta FC before the UFC opened up this division. Tisha beat her, and it was one of those fights where it was just about experience. It was just about understanding what you need to do and, and having a little bit more patience, game plan, structure to what they do. And so maybe we maybe this fight turns into an eye-opener where Paige has made great strides since her last fight, which I believe was at the I think she's, and she's talked about it. She's, she understands that she's young. weird position if she gets a victory here where she's in the top five and what else is there like there's just going to be very serious fights for her against experienced savvy opponents after this so we're probably going to get an answer to that sooner rather than later also i find it quite uh, amusing and it seems to be something that the ufc is doing on purpose also on the same card is of course the guy that people will say is the the male version of Paige <laughs> in Sage Northcutt fighting as well. Nineteen years old, uh, super prospect had a great fight last time. He's he again fairly fairly raw at, with a record of six and zero. Oh, um, kid out of Texas, but uh, they're pushing this guy as well. And he, he, I, I, to be fair, I mentioned women's image. He's got the male image, like absolutely shredded, uh, you know, blonde <laughs> frosted tips. Um, you know, a guy that they'd like to see grow into that. In, into a real marketable superstar. Um, but a lot of similarities between those two. And funny to see them on the same card. Almost not surprising to see them on the same card. I mean, when they announced it, I think, I think I actually feel bad for Sage Northcutt. I mean, I was in Houston for his debut. He is a, a genuine, sweet, good kid. Um, as you said, 19 years old, looked great in his debut. I feel bad for him because he's sort of, getting he he has become the brunt of this reaction and the brunt of this oh my god the UFC pushing this kid like he doesn't have a ton to do with it like what are you gonna say no don't put me on the main card no don't promote me like this is career for him this is he has put school on hold or is planning to put school on hold to pursue this so you're gonna want to maximize all your opportunities should Top 10 bantamweights, Aljamain Sterling and Johnny Eduardo be on the main card instead of 1-0 in the UFC, Sage Northcutt against Cody Pfister. Probably from a sporting competitive standpoint, but we know the UFC isn't just about that. And so to just continually bury this kid and rip this kid for, for things that are outside of his control and just wanting to be the best fighter he can be and taking advantage of opportunities that are given to him. It's frustrating and it's disappointing at times to see. I get where it's coming from and I understand it, but it's it's like we have these moments where we suddenly forget that the UFC isn't just this pure athletic body that everything is done on on sport and merit. Like 
It's a promotion. It is a fight promotion. They're going to promote the dude that they think they can sell the most tickets with, whether that's Conor McGregor or whether that's teaming up Paige and Sage on, on December 10th in Las Vegas. Uh, it's going to be fascinating stuff um, and looking forward to it. Now, this time next week, will you be in Vegas already? I would imagine. This time next week, I will be in Vegas. I head out on Tuesday morning. Um, Full Hooters experience? What's that? Full Hooters experience? Absolutely heading back to Keyboard Kimura HQ in Las Vegas. Myself, the Calgary Suns, Danny Austin. Uh, it is going to be a loaded week um, with three cards back to back to back. That means starting Tuesday, there are media events. So there's not a lot of free time. It's also going to be the Irish contingent coming in, the Brazilian contingent coming in. Um, media that, you know, these events are sort of most outlets kind of pick and choose a couple of people to go. I know a lot of people from a lot of outlets that are coming to these, these events. I think the UFC, as you said earlier, has structured it correctly where we're building to a crescendo with the pay-per-view rather than having the pay-per-view and then being like, Hey, are you sticking around tomorrow for this fight card that is clearly not as good as the one you just sat through? Um, I'm sticking around on Sunday just to sort of decompress and, and get some stories, some stories put out without trying to rush home and being stuck in airports. So it should be absolutely nuts. Yeah. Can't wait to get down there and see forty something fights over the course of three nights. Yeah, it's going to be a great week, and we look forward to it. Unfortunately, we do have to cut it short today. So uh, thanks for listening, everyone. You can catch up on all Spencer stuff at theprovince.com. At, under keyboard Kimura under the MMA tag. Uh, you can also check him out on Twitter at Spencer Kite, K-Y-T-E, where he writes for various other people all over the place. Always great stuff, Spencer. Thank you, sir. Thank you. And we'll talk to you next week. You've been listening to Keyboard Kimura, the official mixed martial arts podcast of the province. Read the Keyboard Kimura blog on theprovince.com, follow them on Twitter at Keyboard Kimura, or visit them on Facebook at facebook.com slash keyboard Kimura.